Podcast, live and underway here on ESPN+. And unlike Buck Showalter, the manager of the New York Mets, we are very much soccer people here on this show. That's the good news. The bad news is that, as you can see, my good friend and colleague, usually with me here on Football Americas, Hercules Gomez, is away on vacation. A very well-deserved vacation, but fear not, because we have a huge list, an impressive list of guests scheduled to join us to try to make up for this Herculean sized absence. Uh, coming up, you're gonna hear from Mauricio Pedrosa. We got some big transfer news on the cusp of happening uh, around Mexican players. He'll join us to talk about that. Casey Keller will be with us as well. We're gonna hear his one-on-one -on -one interview with Alfonso Davies, plus talk about some Americans, their upcoming Bundesliga seasons. I know it's crazy, but it's like 10 days away. The start of the Bundesliga, of course, you can watch it here on ESPN+. Plus. Excited to have Jeff Kasuf join us on the show for the first time he was down in Monterey with the U.S. women's national team as they won the CONCACAF W championship. So we'll hear from him. And uh, the story of the week, U.S. Open Cup semifinals week, we got uh, Sacramento Republic ready to host their game against Sporting Kansas City. Their GM and President Todd Donovan will be uh, joining us at, towards the end of the show. But let's welcome in now our first guest here on Football Americas, another of my good friends and colleagues. And he's dressed the part on the, speaking of on the cusp, this man is on the cusp of vacation, and yet he came to join us here on Football Americas. Alejandro, from the home of the Moreno Mental. How are you doing, my man? See, unlike Hercules Gomez, right? And this is his show. This is his responsibility. Unlike Hercules, I wait to take my vacation until after Football Americas. You see, there is a difference here between professionalism and not. You take your pick as to what Hercules is. Yes. Professionalism and commitment, two things you can never question uh, when it comes to Alejandro Moreno. <laughs> All right, so let's talk some Major League Soccer. We got a lot to catch up on from the weekend. We'll start, Ale, with Toronto FC, who are going from nothing to something really quick here. They rolled 4 nothing over Charlotte on Saturday. This one was over quick. 2 nothing in the first 10 minutes, 3 nothing on the half-hour mark. The big story, MLS debuts for both Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernardeschi, who scored. He scored the uh, third goal for TFC. Michael Bradley getting involved as well. Michael Bradley scored a brace for Toronto. Mark Anthony Kay, another new addition. He played the full 90. All of this in front of a sold-out BMO field, over 29,000 in attendance. They'd been averaging around 23,000. So you know what's up. Toronto is, uh, is getting ready for another potential playoff run. But Ale, TFC right now are 13th. Out of 14 teams in the Eastern Conference, there are only 12 games left in the season. Is there time for them to turn it around this year and become true MLS Cup contenders, or is this a project for 2023? Well, let's break that question into different parts. I think there is time for them to get into the playoffs. I don't think there is time for them to make a run in MLS playoffs and into MLS Cup. However, let's talk about Bob Bradley for a second. I know he's a good close friend of yours. You guys have had a wonderful relationship over the years. Uh, Bob Bradley is an elite manager in this league. Is a very recognizable name in this league. If you're gonna have an elite manager, an elite coach, uh, his team should be in the playoffs. So the expectation should be that Toronto FC, even without the or even with the difficulties that they've had this season, they should be making a late run into the playoffs. And while it is true that they're 13 out of 14, I think what's most important is that they're only six points away from the last playoff spot. I think there's plenty of time here 
Now, you don't have a lot of wiggle room, but I think if you mm -hmm. go on a run, and if you're Toronto FC, you build some momentum, you should have the expectation of making it into the playoffs. Speaking of momentum, tomorrow night they got the uh, Canadian Championship against Vancouver. If good chance to win a trophy, maybe get some momentum. I kind of saw it the other way. I, I thought it would be tougher for them to get in the playoffs than it would be if they actually got in to maybe make some noise. Here's what I, I'm, why I mean that. Atlanta, Miami, New England, Chicago, Charlotte, those are the teams that they got to pass just to get to the line. Those are all accessible. But then you still need an Orlando, Cincinnati, or a Columbus to drop off. So a lot of things have to happen in 12 games. But if they get in, who do you see as like the dominant team in the East? Because New York City just lost Tati. Like, I think the East is very wide open if they could sneak in. Yes, but and, and while we have talked in years past about the importance of carrying momentum into the playoffs, and this is what Toronto FC would be doing, my argument is, is this simple. In order for them to be able to make it into the party, they're going to have to play at a very high level from here on out. And they're going to have to put a lot of stress in, the, in that team and in those bodies. Mm. A lot of physical stress and a lot of mental stress. And I can't help but think that the moment, if indeed they're able to get into the playoffs, that there's going to be a letdown of almost... <sighs> Mm. mission accomplished whatever happens from here on out we'll take it as a bonus but we've been able to accomplish our goal and that is making it into the playoffs so mentally it's a difficult challenge to go from achieving what you wanted to achieve putting everything into that and then being able to recharge regain momentum again and say okay here we go again let's get excited about the playoffs the talent level, I think, will be there for them to compete. But I also do believe on the balance of a whole season performance. And I, I think the teams that have proven to be the best in the Eastern Conference in the end would be favorites, from my perspective, to advance into MLS Cup. All right, Alice. So Toronto FC grabs some of the headlines this weekend. But of course, LAFC grabs headlines. They always seem to do that nowadays. Gareth Bale. Uh, how about this? Got his first goal for LAFC. It came Saturday in a 2-0 win over Sporting Kansas City. He was subbed on in the 65th minute, scored in the 83rd. Ale, you will be shocked to find out it was with his left foot. Uh, LAFC, after picking up the three points, first in the Western Conference, first in the Supporters' Shield race. Uh, also of note in this game, uh, Carlos Vela started but was subbed off on 78. So Vela and Bale uh, just playing then 13 minutes together. All right, Ale. Time for a difficult choice. Which duo are you taking? Bella and Bale or TFC's Insigne and Bernardeschi? And I assume that we're talking about right now, right mm -hmm. this moment, in the immediate. We're talking about this season, essentially. Is that correct? Yes, 100%. The here and now. And that's, that's the way I like to live. Said the here and now. The here and now would suggest that you take Gareth Bale and Carlos Vela. The here and now would also suggest that you're going to get the, potentially what is the very best version of Gareth Bale as he prepares to what's next. And what's next for him is the World Cup with Wales. He has that motivation that is built into the end of this season and that is to continue to work his way into full fitness and be ready to go when the World Cup comes. LAFC will benefit 
from this motivation. And it's something that we've talked about in the past and it's something that is very clear to see. Now the big question is, what happens once the World Cup is over? Mm. And then next season comes around, what are you gonna get from Gareth Bale? I have no idea. Does and that change your answer honest, in 2023? I think so, yes, because I have no certainty whatsoever as to what Gareth Bale is going to mm. be next season. And I don't think LAFC really cares. If they mm. go on a run this season and they win MLS Cup and they finally break through, it, all, all the investment and everything that it, that it means to have Gareth Bale with LFC, all of that is worthwhile. You're and, and I and I like the decision. I like the fact that you're taking a chance and you're saying this guy can be a difference maker for us. This guy can score an important goal for us in a moment that matters. This guy is gonna help Carlos Vela in those moments in which people focus on Carlos Vela and there isn't somebody else who can maybe provide something special. Gareth Bale can do that individually, even at this point in his career. But that's for now. My point about next season is that I don't think even Gareth Bale knows what happens after the World Cup. I don't think that's a decision he's made just yet. I think he has in his mind, and I, I'm putting myself in his shoes, and those are big shoes to fill, by the way, that I'm putting myself into his mindset, and he is right now getting ready to then hit the World Cup and hit the ground running, feel good about himself, feel good about Wales and what potentially could be a great experience for him and his teammates and his national team and the whole country of Wales. Once he goes through that, I don't know that the level of engagement, unless he has a great, great end of the season here with LAFC and it's a great experience for him to have the motivation to keep going at a high level. Uh, mm. So, because I don't know what happens with Gareth Bale next season, I'm going to take Gareth Bale, Carlos Vela now, and I'm going to say Insigne Bernardeschi next year, also assuming that those guys uh, become very much a part of this league and buy into this league and are excited to be in this league. If that's the case, I'll take that pair next year, I'll take Vela and Bernardeschi now. There it is. You got to factor no, in the I potential. I'm bailed now. I <laughs> <laughs> you got to factor in the uh, potential World Cup hangover there uh, for sure. All right. A another big storyline out of Major League Soccer over the last week have been some of the successes, Ale, from these international friendlies, specifically MLS teams against uh, Premier League opposition. The big story, of course, was Minnesota United hanging a, a big 4 nothing win on Everton, right? That was kind of the good news. The bad news, though, was Ja'Cory Hayes. You see here the 27-year-old midfielder. He suffered a broken leg, and he's now going to miss the rest of the 2022 MLS season. I guess it kind of prompts the bigger question, right? Um, the bigger picture question is, are these games worth it, Alice? So what do you think? You've been in these situations. You've been an MLS player middle of the season. Should MLS teams in the middle of their regular season be stepping away for these international friendlies? Yes. Yes, and as a player, I didn't care for them because I did not have the all-inclusive perspective of looking mm. at things from the outside looking in. Uh, I was concerned about how do I prepare from this Saturday to next Saturday. Don't talk to me about Wednesday playing against Manchester United or whoever is it that is on the tour. I want to know how do we get ready from this Saturday so that then we are ready to play next Saturday in our next league game. That's the perspective of the player. 
And, and certainly, as you become an older player, you become less and less excited about this midweek games because it interrupts your preparation, it interrupts your rest, it interrupts your routine. So you don't want a part of it. But I will tell those older guys that perhaps don't like the midweek games that MLS still is in a position in which they need they still need, as much as this league has grown, they still need to get themselves out there and put themselves in a platform that is bigger than you usually get on a Saturday to Saturday basis. So if that means you are playing these big games against big name teams and you have additional eyes that watch you on TV and also additional eyes that come to the stadiums, then what you would like to do is a percentage of those people that came and had a great experience in the midweek that they also come and join you for the weekend. Mm. And that's gonna be always the challenge for MLS in the foreseeable future, is to make sure that you get the 60,000 people that went to Vegas to watch El Clasico. Mm. Hey, how about we build a bridge from that stadium to the MLS stadium <laughs> so that we can get a, a people that get excited about MLS and their local mm. product. Buy local, baby. Buy local. Get excited about the local product. But in order to do that, MLS has to provide a product that people can get excited and an experience that people can, can get excited about. So I know that this is disappointing for Ja'Cory Hayes and I know it's disappointing for Minnesota United, but the truth of the matter is we need more people watching MLS on mm. TV and we need more people engaging MLS on a weekly basis, consistently on a weekly basis. And part of doing that is getting yourself on a platform in which you can showcase your product to a larger audience. Yeah, from a marketing standpoint, obviously uh, I'm with you there. It, it makes a lot of sense. I guess the question is though, like are the, are the MLS teams deep enough to do it? Because I'll be honest, DC United played Bayern Munich with basically their reserve team and it was six to two. And so of, of the people that go to that in DC, are many gonna come back to see DC United? You could ask the same thing about what happened in Inter Miami when Phil Neville said it's the biggest game in club history, and then they lose six nothing to Barcelona and he plays his son and the owner's son. So I mean, you know, there are these exhibitions and you do Ale, you bring a lot of people, but you also gotta put on a, a reasonable performance. Otherwise they're just gonna laugh at you and they'll never come back. Well, funny you mentioned DC United. Uh <laughs> That no coincidence there, but I can make the argument that watching DC United now, it's, it, it's just painful, period. Ah. So, <laughs> I, I'm, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? So, it, I mean, yes, they got destroyed by Bayern Munich. Okay, yeah. well, what can I tell you? I'm not shocked about that. They're getting destroyed by teams in MLS as well. <laughs> so, if people are not coming to watch DC United games, it's not mm. because they got destroyed by Bayern Munich. It's because yeah. they're a poor team. So that, that has nothing to do with their midweek performance against Bayern Munich. I think, I think people are smart enough to recognize, look, you get beat by Barcelona, you get beat by Bayern Munich, that's going to happen. But what is the experience like? Mm. Was this fun? Did I bring my kids and that I, did I enjoy it? Did they enjoy it? Did they enjoy the popcorn and the hot dog? All right. What we saw on the field wasn't all that great but we kind of expected that against Bayern Munich. We came to watch Bayern Munich. We didn't come to watch DC United. The key is gonna be on the weekend, can DC United get people excited enough to where they turn around and say, I want to watch DC United and I wanna be part of this experience. That's the responsibility of the MLS team. It has nothing to do with Bayern Munich or Barcelona.
And to be fair, it's not just MLS teams that get criticized for this, right? In Liga MX, they're getting criticized for it now as the Mexican teams do all their U.S. tours. America's playing City, Chelsea, and then what happens? They go home and they lose to Cholos. And of course, fans are very upset. They're going to come right back in. They're going to play against Real Madrid and go right back into league play. So everybody's trying to get their hands in the honeypot. And sometimes the teams with thinner rosters, they pay for it. We're never, never accused of having a thin roster here on Football Americas, especially when we can call on somebody like Alejandro Moreno. Uh, Ale, go enjoy your vacation. Thank you so much for the time. And thank you for your professionalism and commitment, which we would never, ever doubt on this show. Uh-huh. I, that, that is lacking from other people in this show. <laughs> and say hi to Mariso Pedrosa for me. That, that guy is something special. That's my guy right there. That's, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who works, eh? Mauricio Pedrosa. There he goes, Alejandro Moreno. Thanks for joining us here uh, on Football Americas. Uh, speaking of Ale, he's always uh, involved in our MLS coverage. we got plenty more coming your way on ABC and ESPN Deportes on Saturday. It's Minnesota United against the Portland Timbers. Coverage starts at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash network with everyone fighting for attention how can your business stand out and connect with customers easy get constant contact constant contacts award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out stay top of mind and see big results fast constant contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and sms marketing social media posting and even events management with Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. As we go to air, Cruz Azul and Feyenoord are reportedly putting the final touches on a transfer for 21-year-old Mexican international striker Santiago Jimenez. ESPN reporting Feyenoord going to pay 4 million euros for 50% of the players' rights. Cruz Azul will keep the other half. Jimenez is leaving red hot. He had two goals against Puebla on Saturday and asked about a potential move after the game. Here's what he had to say. Pues la verdad es que hay muchas circunstancias en juego. El jugador eh, no solo piensa lo futbolístico, sino también lo familiar. Es un poco riesgoso salir a Europa, eh, la verdad es que así lo tomo, pero me gusta tomar los riesgos porque sé que voy eh, con Dios y Dios tomará la, la mejor, el mejor camino para mí. Sí, obviamente en mí este, la verdad es que yo considero primeramente la fe y mi fe me dice que hay que tomar riesgos, que hay que luchar por tus sueños y yo creo que 
es lo que, lo que quiero hoy. Eh, sinceramente, como tú dices, es un riesgo por el Mundial, porque puede ser que vaya a Europa y no juegue, pero, pero de eso se trata el fútbol, de esto se trata el cumplir los sueños, objetivos, y, y bueno, vamos a, como dijo Johan, a lanzarle una moneda al aire. Joining us next on Football Americas to discuss the potential move for Santiago Jimenez and some other moves around Mexican soccer. Mauricio Pedrosa, who was playing weatherman in Green Bay this past weekend for Bayern, <laughs> Munich, and Manchester City. Bro, bravo, huh? That was some of the best TV work I have seen in years. You and Barak, unbelievable. Thank you, dude. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Shout out to my guy, Ale Moreno, as well. Uh, he knows he's my dude, so appreciate the love. All right, so let's get into uh, Santiago Jimenez. Now, uh, do you think Dutch football, and specifically Feyenoord, is the correct landing spot for this prospect who we've been talking about making the move to Europe for quite some time now? It is the perfect move to the point in which I'm now just starting to picking the spot of my body where I'm going to have to put the Bebote tattoo <laughs> after the World Cup to pay off my bet because it looks like the guy is on fire and... I understand why he might be concerned in terms of timing, the timing of mm -hmm, the move, mm -hmm. right when he's just picking it up, absolutely en fuego with Cruz Azul. But I think this just speaks volumes about how well he's being managed. I'm going to give props to Cruz Azul as well for making this mm -hmm. happen. But they're seeing the big picture. The big picture is I know everyone wants to play in this next World Cup. And a lot of players are making decisions just to comply with what Tata Martino is asking from players, right? Get minutes, play, be on the field. But Santiago Jimenez is seeing the big picture in terms, right now what I need is to still develop my skills, still find my right place, the right path for my career. And look, Sebi, the experience tells us that when a player like him, 20, 21, 22 years old, when he can make the jump and play in Europe, starting in the Dutch league, in a team like Feyenoord, it's been proven to be the right move. So I celebrate him. I celebrate Cruz Azul for seeing the big picture and making this happen right now, regardless if this means that maybe he will have to fight for minutes as a consequence, maybe he won't have those minutes that Tata Martino is asking for him. To your point about Cruz Azul, Leon Lecanda reporting that they didn't A, want to sell him or B, need to sell him. And in the past, we've seen Mexican clubs hold on to players so long they lose their value to Europe. Good to see one Mexican club at least doing it different uh, in this situation. I see a lot of positives to this. I always think of anytime you see a, a player from this region go to, to the Dutch league, I always think of Josie Altador, who played Premier League, La Liga, he played in Turkey, played in MLS. Nowhere did he find more goals than in the Dutch league. I think the point about Dennis Teclose being involved here is very good too. This is yes. not, to, to borrow an example, this is not Ricardo Pepe getting hot, coming out of nowhere, becoming the U.S number nine starting striker, and then all of a sudden Augsburg comes in and tries to outbid Bayern Munich and everybody else who wants him. Dennis De Klose has known about this player for a very long time, so that, that makes me feel good that this is not some spur-of-the-moment decision from Feyenoord. It's good to hear him acknowledge the risk. Hey, I'm leaving a spot where I know I'm going to get playing time in a World Cup year where I know I'm scoring, uh, but as you say, if he's, if he's up for it, um, why not? It sounds like a good move for all parties uh, involved. That's the Santiago. Go ahead, Mal. Go ahead quickly, quickly. I just want to say something real quick. He's actually going to land in a soft spot.
because Feyenoord, they just ha uh, they, they just signed Danilo, a player from Ajax, but they haven't really scored uh, during preseasons. They really have struggled finding their number nine. So I guess that he mm. would get the minutes right away. Here's a look at uh, some other recent transfers from Liga Mekis to the Eredivisie. I mean, there's quite a few players who have made that jump and then found success there. And in the case of a Chucky Lozano uh, or a Tecatito Corona, guys who have moved on to, to bigger and better things. So that's a Jimenez perspective. Now let's turn it now to the national team, because as we know, the number nine is a big position for the Mexican national team heading into the World Cup. And what's interesting here is you would think automatically great move for the national team. But as soon as this report dropped, we heard some conflicting reports about what Tata Martino was saying. First, that he wanted Santiago Jimenez to stay at Cruz Azul. His proceso wasn't finished. And then later on, we heard that, no, Tata Martino was, was good with the move. So overall, if we focus it specifically to 2022, and I think not 2026, uh, is this, how, how important is this? What's the impact you think it'll have on the Mexican national team? I mean, I mean, at this, I mean, we've come to a point in which I honestly just want Tata Martino to be quiet. Don't say, stop talking. Come back to Mexico, watch Liga MX games, and be quiet. Because there's nothing that he has said in the mm. recent past that has made any sense whatsoever. And the fact that there's contradicting reports, I think it's just it just paints a clear picture of where Tata Martino's head is at right now. This is a great move and we have to think big picture. If we're still just thinking what's gonna happen for Mexico's number nine at the World Cup 2022, and then mm. we're trying to make that the main reason for Santiago Jimenez to make a choice. Do I leave or do I stay? That's the wrong view. That's the wrong way to see it. I think it is actually a great move because he's gonna go to a more competitive league. He's gonna have some minutes. He's gonna have better competition around him. It's only gonna make him a better player. And that's exactly what you want for the Mexican national team. Have mm. better players. Is, is, is he gonna start in November in Qatar? Maybe not, but this is the future. Santiago Jimenez is the future of the position and it's fantastic news for the Mexican national team mm. that he gets to leave this early in his career. Look, if he does start, we know you're getting some ink. We know you're getting that tattoo. It's a huge impact for the national team program for 2026. I think for 2022 as well, Mal, because we know this. If there's, a, if there's a Mexican player scoring in Europe, it doesn't matter where, the pressure on Tata Martino yeah. is going to be intense. And if Raul Jimenez still isn't scoring and Funes Mori isn't getting the job done, a guy scoring in Europe, that's a, that's a hell of an ace to play if you're Santiago Jimenez trying to break in, not to the team, uh, but to the starting lineup at the World Cup. All right, let's talk about another player who is on the verge of a move, and that's Diego Lainez, who has been left in Spain as Betis begins their preseason abroad. The 22-year-old Mexican international hardly played last season. That's the reality. He did win a Copa del Rey, so he got a winner's medal at least. He's been linked, Mao, most recently and most heavily to Almeria, who were just promoted from the second division. Uh, what do you think? Is Almeria the spot to revive Diego Lainez's right now stagnant club career? If, if uh, he's going to get minutes there, then yes. I mean, that's as simple as that. Um, Diego Lainez has to go to a place where the manager understands his skills, appreciates the things that he can do on the field, and ultimately just trusts Diego Lainez. That mm. has been the biggest issue with him and the broken relationship with Manuel Pellegrini. So 
Almería might be actually a good landing spot for Diego Lainez, even though this is a team that will fight just to be in the Primera División. They just got promoted. I was just trying to figure out the way they play. They play a 4-2-3-1, and, 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 and the way they play, I believe it actually fits Diego Lainez if he's going to be a winger starting either from the right or the left-hand side. Um, the fact that he already has three years of experience in Europe, even though he hasn't played much, but he knows the league, he understands the dynamics, and if the competitions is not going to be as strong in terms of finding minutes for him as it was at Betis, that is just mm. a perfect move. Two different cases, right? Santiago Jimenez and Diego Lainez. Right now, priority number one for Diego Lainez, you have to find a place where you're going to see minutes right away. No, no in October, right away. The season starts in a couple of weeks. It has to happen now. Got to find a place where you wanted. Got to find a place where you're needed, too. I think they might have wanted him at Betis, but they really didn't need him. So many other players in those positions. All right, Mal, let's run it back. We got some uh, Mexican players who have found the score sheet in preseason. Always exciting. Raul Jimenez with his second goal of the preseason this past weekend against Besiktas. It comes off a terrible mistake. Uh, he also went off injured in this match. So some good news, some bad news. Yeah, that, that's the big deal. He, he, he left the field injured, and that has been the problem with Raul Jimenez. Just the fact that he's finding the back of the net is good news. I hope he gets his confidence back, because as we established already, the Mexican national team really needs their number nine. They need their number nine. They need him healthy. They need everybody, really, in that tridente to get scoring. So we got Raul Jimenez coming off injured, but at least finding goals in back-to-back -back preseason games now, but he's not the only one. Tecatito Corona also heating up. Now he scored for Sevilla in a 1-1 draw against Sporting. Yeah, believe it or not, he was probably the player in best shape of the Tridente. Chucky, Raul, Tecatito finishing the club season. He was actually the one who saw the, the, the more number of minutes and the best minutes as well with Sevilla. That was a fantastic move for Tecatito Corona. Hopefully he can establish himself as a starter for Sevilla. And what's always missing with Tecatito? The final product. There you saw some final product right there. How about Andres Guardado back at PSV for preseason with Real Betis. He got a hero's welcome at his former club where now, of course, uh, Eric Gutierrez uh, is playing in midfield. So they squared off now. Yeah, it was very emotional to see uh, the hero's welcome that PSV got for Andres Guardado, but also Good news on Eric Gutierrez's side. He's going to extend his contract at PSV until the 2025 season. That's actually fantastic news for Guti and for El Tri as well. The Guardado and Gutierrez there battling it out in preseason. Maybe, maybe battling for a starting spot in that Mexican midfield yeah. uh, come Qatar. But that is a, a discussion for another day. I can hear our producer Beto right now. He's having a panic attack about how far over we are. Uh, Mauricio, always a pleasure to have you here on the show. Safe travels, because I know you're off to somewhere exciting next. <laughs> Thank you, Sadie. Talk to you soon, man. Actually, I know Mal's next assignment. He's calling this game. We got Liga Mekis on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. It's Rayados against Puebla tomorrow night. Do not miss it. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. 
That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Alfonso, what do you think? Uh, let's start off with everything's cool with the COVID issues, the the little long COVID, the things. Everything good now? No drama? No, no, everything is good. Um, yeah, I mean that that was very scary. Yeah, you know, um, especially um, you know the doctors are saying that they don't know how long I was supposed to be out. So I think that was the most scariest part. And yeah, you know, I, at that time I had doubts in my head. You know, sure. whether whether it's um, still going to be able to play football, but everything worked out at the end. I'm happy, you know, I'm grateful for, you know, the doctors taking such good care of me. So I'm, I'm happy that I can be back on the pitch. Nice. Good to hear. So coming from Vancouver, obviously starting MLS, getting that big move over to Europe to Bayern Munich. Well, it's been a few years now. You're no longer kind of the new kid on the block. How's that kind of feel that you've been there, you know, four years now and and have established yourself so well? I mean, it's been good. Uh, The first time, I think the first year I went there, you know, I had a a goal in my head, you know, to learn from, you know, the players that are around me. You know, there was really, really amazing players around me and still, still are. So to learn from them, you know, I wasn't expecting to play, you know, every single minute or, you know, a lot of minutes. So for me, it was a learning process. Um, and now, you know, I'm able to establish myself uh, in a position, you know, that I that I was put into. So I'm happy that um, I'm able to play there and I'm happy that I can, you know, be be part of the team, you know, playing and helping them. Right. When I when I had retired from the Sounders and then you kind of worked your way you know, up. You were in a more attacking role. Yes. So then, coming to Europe and then making that transition. How 
how did that, was it an ego thing that said, wait a minute, you want me to come back here? I've been playing here. Or, or yeah, was it just, hey, coach, wherever you want me, I'll figure it out. For me, it was, uh, you know, um, yeah, you know, I was playing up top, you know, with Vancouver, um, and then they signed me as a winger. But then I guess things changed, you know, players got injured and just had to move things around. And yeah, I mean, they knew that I played, you know, at that position not too many times, but I played a you know, couple games with Vancouver and with Canada. So you know, when the coach was looking for a, for a replacement for one of the injured guys, I guess he looked at me and, you know, I was like, OK. Um, at the time, I was, I was learning the position, you know, I'm still learning the position. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a shock to me as well, you know, just playing there. You know, I thought I was doing it, you know, part-time, but I guess it's full-time. <laughs> they say that sometimes that a player, when he's asked to kind of change positions, that, yo, okay, coach, I can do that for a few days or a few games <laughs> yeah. or a month while so-and-so is injured. But to accept that, that that's your new role. Have you felt that you've like, now this is my role and now I'm going to, uh, the, the offensive side was always great. Now I just need to concentrate that little bit more on how I defend and kind of learning the nuances of that new position. Uh, definitely. Um, when I was, when I was, when I was, when I started playing back there, you know, I thought it was a temporary thing, you know, just uh, playing it out until, you know, the player comes back. But when I saw myself, you know, being there. Success kind of helps yeah, a little so, bit yeah. too. <laughs> um, being there, you know, game in, game out. And I was like, okay, then you know, I have to switch my mindset from attacking to, you know, defending as well. So that's what I try to do. And obviously I have the, and, and not forgetting how to, how to attack as well. You know, last year, a uh, little bit of a shock exit against Villarreal in Champions League. And I know you... Got a little bit of a heat for the goal on that. As, as a young player, is it kind of difficult sometimes to win you in that huge spotlight, huge window, maybe holding your hand up a little bit? And talk me through that a little bit, how you know, that process was. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Villarreal game, it was, uh, I think, my, my third game back after the injury. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, as a young player, it's stuff like that happens. You know, you just have to, you know, tell yourself that, you know, you, it was a tough, tough exit right. in the Champions League. But, uh, you know, coming in the game, you know, playing the position I was playing, I mean, it's tough. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, I don't, I don't really, you know, lose sleep over it. Good. You know, uh, yeah, you know, you're frustrated uh, with, the, with the result, but, right. you know, you have to keep, uh, keep your head clear and, you know, move on to the next to the next game. Yeah, just defender, goalkeeper. Yeah, you, you have the those. It happens. It happens, and as, yeah, as a defender. And guess what? It's going to happen again. Yeah, exactly. You know? And you want to put yourself in as big a games as possible, and yeah, you're doing exactly that. Um, let's shift to a little bit about Canada. Sure. And you know, Canada qualifies for the first time since '86. You know. How do you feel as, you know, someone that was a refugee that came to Canada and obviously adopted the country, they adopted you, you adopted them, and then to be able to, you know, take them back to the World Cup? I mean, it's, it was an incredible feeling, you know, when we qualified. Um, you know, I was emotional because, you know, as, as a footballer, you know, as a young footballer, you dream about 
you know, going to the World Cup, play for your country, and I'm able to able to make that happen, and I'm I'm happy for it. And uh, yeah, I mean, Canada adopted me, and you know, I'm trying my best to to say thank you to them. And yeah, I feel like I'm a I'm a full-on Canadian citizen now. I noticed something calling a lot of MLS games that when over these last three, four years compared to five, six years before, the Canadian teams now, their roster is filled with Canadian players. I didn't remember that <laughs> earlier on. Is the talent level just now getting broader and catching up and maybe this, the Canadian squad has a lot more options than maybe yeah. 10 years ago? Yeah, I mean, right now, you know, we have, uh, we have the CPL, you know, our, own, our Canadian our Premier League. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's Canadian talents everywhere. I think they just needed a, a base to, to show themselves, and, and the CPL is helping with that. You know, um, with, all the, with all the Canadian players coming through now, you know, you can see that, you know, we have, we have talent of, on this side, and, and we're excited. We're, we're looking forward to the future. So what's the goal for the World Cup? I mean, obviously the goal, as everyone knows, is uh, to win it. That's the goal for everybody. But uh, what's the realistic goal for yeah, Canada coming into the World Cup? Yeah, for us, it's uh, you know just go out there and and compete. You know, we don't want to roll over it for any team. You know, we know that we're going to be playing against um, you know top countries, and we want to we want to go out there and compete and you know not not shy away from competition. Would getting out of the group stage be a a big goal definitely definitely getting out the i mean you know this is football anything can happen so you never know where you'll finish at the end of the day alfonso davies then with a career's worth of silverware both individual and collective at just 21 years old there you see his stats with Bayern munich he is the reigning Concacaf men's player of the year Joining us now to discuss, amongst other things, Alfonso Davies' interview, but also the upcoming Bundesliga campaign, Casey Keller, who's taking over the journalism role here. They're calling him a young Gab Marcotti, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. That's, a, that's exactly how I want to be uh, thought of. Uh, but, uh, no, it was cool. You know, I was in Chicago for a Sounders game and was able just to, uh, you know, slide over into D.C. and do those couple interviews with the guys at, with Bayern. I mean... Bayern are such a professional setup. It was it's so cool to, you know, kind of watch the way that they operate and everybody was super gracious and great interviews. Yeah, so I saw a lot of the conversation centered around Bayern, but what we just saw a lot of it was around the Canadian national team. You talked about his expectations for the World Cup. They're in Group F, they're in there with Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco. What are your expectations for Canada? You think they'll survive that group? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think they'll survive that group. I think probably the obviously the favorites are Belgium and Croatia to, to go through. And I think what's really important for Canada after not being in a World Cup since 86 is, is just look like you belong. I mean, we saw in World Cup past where CONCACAF teams have come in and, and haven't really represented the way that we would like them to do. I mean, obviously, Panama struggled. And so what I would love to see is at least if Canada don't make it out of their group, at least represent CONCACAF with some with some class just kind of show that we're continuing to get better and continuing to be more competitive Casey I'm pretty optimistic about Canada I realize it's a tough group but 
When you look at what they do have, I think compared to everybody else in CONCACAF, right, they've probably got the best finishers in David and Laren. And I don't know if you'd agree with me here, but probably the best wide, like, attacking threats in, in Davies and, and Tejan Buchanan. Those would seem to me to be good pieces, good elements to a formula to success in, in tournament soccer. Is that at least fair to say for Canada? It, it, it's fair that they definitely have some pieces. They're young. They're inexperienced at that level, obviously. And, and I think that's going to be one of the most difficult things is, is you know, having, you know, so many players that, that, that really haven't been on that big stage. And look, it's very similar with the U.S. team as well. Yes, you got a lot of guys playing at clubs and doing things, but not qualifying for the last World Cup definitely puts them at a little bit of a disadvantage. So, Yes, I agree with you, Seb. I think Canada have some really intriguing pieces in their side, and so much of it will depend on, like we see in so many different teams who don't have the biggest squads, are the right players fit and in form at the mm. right time? I mean, it's, it's a question that Canada's going to have to deal with, and it's a big issue that the U.S. are going to have to deal with as well. So, Casey, obviously you were talking to the guys from Bayern Munich ahead of the upcoming Bundesliga season, which, wow, it's starting 11 days from now, August 5th. Crazy how quickly the the season kind of sneaks up on us in that regard. Let's focus on some Americans because there's a lot of players in the U.S. men's national team pool that are obviously in the Bundesliga. Hercules Gomez not here for this edition of the show, but we'll still start up top because that's the position that I think most people want to talk about. Uh, Let's get an either-or going here. Who do you think is better poised to have a bigger first half of the season and obviously therefore a better run into the World Cup. Is it Ricardo Pepe, who of course we know is getting ready for season number two at Augsburg, or is it Jordan Pifak who made the move from young boys uh, in Switzerland to Union Berlin? Casey, who do you see getting off to a hotter start? Well, there's two big factors. Uh, the, the big factor uh, for Ricardo Pepe is how much has he learned from that experience in that second half of the season, coming in with big expectations and not being able to deliver. You know, he took the summer off. He should be fully recharged and ready to go. I don't, you know, I haven't heard how preseason's going, but then again, I don't exactly read into a lot of preseason anyway. So, uh, and then when you look at someone like, like PFOC, is how quickly does he transition from a lower league to the Bundesliga. Mm. Now he's 26 years old. It's not like he's 18 coming into this situation. So he has a little bit more experience in being able to deal with that. The expectations will be significantly less on him at Union Berlin than they were for Pepe at Augsburg being record signing and, and all the hoopla that came along with that. Uh, so I think in a lot of ways, I think PFOC is also going to be probably playing for the better team. Union Mm. has been definitely punching above their weight, you know, since they got promoted to the Bundesliga. And they've seemed to have a a structure in place that is working really well. Uh, I think the combination between less pressure and a better team, if PFOC can get playing time, I think he's got a chance of, of doing okay, at least to the expectation that I think Union Berlin think that they're going to get from him. Uh, yeah. Ricardo Pepe, in my mind, is going to have to start the season quick. He's going to mm. have to really play well quickly, get some goals under his belt, get some confidence if he's going to, uh, I guess, really come good on that transfer. Yeah, you talk about PFOC having to get accustomed to a new team. It's kind of the same for Pepe, right? He's got a new manager, a guy who's really, you know, first time, top flight, first team management. So he's going to be desperate to get things going. He's also got a, 
a three-year contract, the new manager, so you know he's got the club's backing if he needs to sit the big money transfer. I don't think he'll wait any to do that. So I'm with you. There's a lot of questions about both of these guys, but at least you look at PFOC. The German Cup, I think, is starting like this week. Plus, he's got Europa League, so there's going to be there's going to be minutes, and there's kind of a ready-made spot there, right? Union Berlin sold uh, Taiwo Awoni, their starting forward. They sold him to Nottingham Forest, yeah. so there's there's space there as well. So interesting, uh, should be an interesting start to the season. We know that number nine position for the U.S. men's national team is one that everybody's watching. Let's get let's get to a position though that's closer to my heart, huh? Let's talk about some defenders, some outside Uh-oh. backs. The bench. Uh, who do you think? <laughs> <laughs> easy, easy, Casey. Uh, who do you think between these two has a better chance of making the U.S. World Cup squad? Uh, is it George Bello, who's at Armenia Bielefeld, which, by the way, got relegated, so they're Bundesliga 2. Their season already started uh, yesterday, actually. Or is it Joe Scali, Casey, at your former club, Borussia Mönchengladbach? Who do you see as, uh, as having a better shot at being on that plane to Qatar? Yeah, I, I think I think for both of them, it's going to be difficult, actually. Uh, hmm. I, I think Bello, uh, you know, being down into the lower division, uh, I don't read a whole lot into that. If he was an established player with the national team uh, and that he was getting regular minutes and playing well, but not actually being that and needing to prove himself. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Joe Scally had a great season last year. Maybe didn't quite uh, show as well in his time with the national team as he did during the year with, with Gladbach. So it'll really be a question as well uh, for Greg Berhalter. You know, how much does he read into this position? Who would, you know, obviously mm. there's other guys ahead of both of them. And, and, and the question mark will be, I, well, there's two questions for me. I mean, one of them is, obviously, you know, fitness in that position. Uh, do they feel they need cover? And are one of those two guys going to be that cover? Uh, and then the, then the other side of it, you know, for me will be, you know, just how well, if they get called into the few remaining camps mm-hmm. uh, that are, that are going to be before the World Cup, can either of them really have a game or a, or a camp that kind of sets them apart? And, hmm. you know, to me, the, 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 the push is, I think, Scally probably has a step above being at the bigger club, being at the higher league. Um, but, yeah, the, it's a big question mark if either of them are going to make that final, uh, that final squad. I know it's a 26-man roster. This time around used to be 23, but I wonder how much – versatility plays into it, right? I think Bellow's pretty much left back, and that's it. We know Scali started as a right back, but breaks through at Gladbach as a left back uh, and really locked down that position until he got COVID. I think he started the first 16 or 17 games of the year. Then he gets COVID. Then they beat Bayern Munich with him on the bench. And once that happens, you know, it's hard to work your way back into the starting lineup. But for me, I think Scali's versatility is is a key point there because after Anthony Robinson, Casey, it gets pretty thin at left back there, right? Your cover is basically Serginho Dest is your next option, and that's got to be one of those two, right? I mean, those guys are basically the, the competing factors for your number two left back, or you see somebody else in that mix. No, I, I think that's that's a fair assessment. I, and I think when you do look at Scally, knowing that he's a natural right footer who's, who's very capable of playing on the left side, uh, you know, Bello... Uh, it looked like he was playing wing back um, to start the season yesterday. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly, you know, what Greg's mindset is, you know. But again, I think Scally, you know, probably tips that scale. Now, what he really needs to do is go in with the national team when he gets the next chance. Mm-hmm. 
and and have that little bit better of a camp. Just really kind of say, okay, I'm a little bit more mature now. I'm back to another preseason. I've had time with the national team. I kind of know what the expectations are. And, and then can he perform? The one tricky part that kind of the way Greg plays, and I think we talked about this uh, in one of the after one of the games, is those outside backs are asked to get forward, but then also cover a lot of space in mm. behind. And and I thought there was a couple different times where Scally was was asked to cover a lot of ground that was that was difficult, particularly if he doesn't play that way, you know, for his club team week in and week out, where maybe. Anthony Robinson had been a little bit more used to that. So it was it was it was it was difficult setting these two guys up one after the other and asking them to play exactly the same way when they're when they're different players. So I'll be interested to see how Joe does if he's called into the next camp and if he can uh, kind of take that next step forward. All right, Casey, last but not least, actually, maybe most importantly on our tour of Americans around the Bundesliga is Gio Reyna, who it's crazy to say this at just 19 years old. He is entering his fourth. Yes, fourth season at Borussia Dortmund. What are your expert expectations for Gio Reyna this year? Look, I only have one expectation, and that's be fit. And that's be fit and mm-hmm. able to play. I mean, that's we know Gio has all the talent in the world. Dortmund knows they have all the talent in the world. Clubs around the world knows he has all the talent. The, the question mark right now for Gio is, is can he really you know, get himself physically in a situation where he can play week in and week out? And I know it's extremely frustrating for him. It's been frustrating for everybody around, and, and that's – that's all I hope for Gio is that he gets himself into a situation where physically he can really handle the, the week in and week out because I know everything else will fall into place. Yeah, and I think Dortmund's counting on that too. If you look at their transfers, basically since they let Jaden Sancho go, they haven't really looked to fill that kind of winger playmaker position. They've spent money up top. They've spent money center of the park. They've spent a lot of money in defense. They, they've been busy. They just haven't really gone at that position. So it sounds like the club uh, there has a lot of faith in Gio Reyna as well. All right, Casey, let's, you said you don't really like preseason. You don't want to put too much stock into it. But we got a lot of U.S. men's national teamers doing well in preseason. So let's run it back preseason style. Jordan Pifok, the aforementioned, scoring from close range here. Casey against Nottingham Forest. No matter how they come, good to get on the board, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the idea is that he'll be that central guy, the guy that can, you know, cause problems, get laid in the box. And anytime you can show that in preseason, kind of what they brought you in for never hurts. Here's Haji Wright for Antalya Spore. A little bit of a different goal here, Casey. He does it all by himself. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a good individual effort, being able to run at defenders and, and then finish off under pressure. Player hitting him on the side, goalkeeper coming out, good composure, good finish. You know, he had a good season last year. Can he continue that off? Great weekend for American number nine, Daryl DK for West Brom against Hertha Berlin. And I think what you love seeing from DK is you know he's that physical presence. You love seeing him inside the box, even if it's maybe not as a starter. Let's say in the World Cup, you have to be more direct. There's a big man that can come in and do that. Maybe here's the opposite number, Jesus Ferreira. Casey is 12th of the season for FC Dallas. Yeah, got off to an unbelievable start in the season. Went through a bit of a drought, back scoring goals. But but yeah, totally different player than almost all the other players we've seen. Tim Weah, preseason assist. Okay, we really are dipping deep into the barrel now. A preseason assist, Casey, makes the show rundown. <laughs> 
Yeah, but we know Tim's going to be more of an outside guy, so you're still looking for him to be a contributing member higher up the field and, you know, helping other players get on the score sheet. Casey, we love goalies here, too. We haven't forgotten. Ethan Horvath now on loan at uh, Luton Town with a big save on Mikel Antonio. Look, the, the most important thing for Ethan Horvath is to get minutes, is to get somewhere, establish himself as the number one, be it at a lower division or not, but play week in and week out. And saves like that in preseason obviously help. All right, there you have it. So uh, Ethan Horvath, a goalie that we will surely discuss on this show. On Thursday, Casey, you are back. We're talking Zach Steffen. I had a one-on-one -on -one interview I'm with him. Back. I'm very, very interested to get your thoughts on some of the things he told us. Actually, about that topic exactly. Do goalies need to be playing? Because you know on this show, Hercules Gomez says goalies don't need to play. We'll get your thoughts on that. We'll really destroy the myth of Hercules Gomez uh, on Thursday's edition of Football Americas. Oh. Casey, thanks for your time. Always appreciate it here on the show. Great to have you. Thanks, Seb. And a reminder, we got uh, German soccer on ESPN+. Plus. Plenty more of it. Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. It's Bayern Munich against RB Leipzig for the German Super Cup. Don't miss it. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. The U.S. Women's National Team are once again champions of CONCACAF and joining us here on Football Americas to discuss is someone who is actually down in Monterey with live coverage of the tournament, Jeff Kasuf. He writes for ESPN.com. Jeff, great to have you here on the show. How was the trip down to Mexico? Yeah, thank you for having me. It was, in short, very hot, 100 plus <laughs> every day. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure how those players dealt with that heat. Yeah, if it, if it affected the journos, then you know, surely it was, uh, it was getting to the players as well. All right. One of the very interesting comments to come out of this tournament actually doesn't come from the semifinal or the final. It comes from the group phase finale after the U.S. kind of struggled for that one nothing win over Mexico. Jeff, I want to get your reactions to what Vladko and Nanovsky said after that game. Let's listen to it first. Say if you ask me if we uh, if we're ready to go in the, in the World Cup and, and uh, compete in the World Cup uh, tomorrow, we're probably not ready for it. But uh, are we going to be ready in a year? Absolutely. I'm very happy with uh, with the progress of the team, development of the team, and uh, development of the individuals within the team as well. I think that uh, we're uh, we're doing a good job and we're moving in the right direction. All right, Jeff. Not ready for the World Cup just yet, but how far, how close do you think the U.S. is for being ready for next summer? Yeah, I think getting there, but I would agree not ready. And I think part of that is it's a combination, right? It is a 
group of young players that are trying to get ready for this moment. And we saw some that were ready, maybe some that weren't in this CONCACAFW championship. And then it's also, the, you look at the amount of injuries on this team right now, the amount of significant injuries. And I think you have to look at that as a significant factor with whether this team is ready and, and when will it be ready? Because some of them really long-term injuries, it honestly could be turn of the new year before we see some of these players back and, and their potential starters. Yeah, one of those players, Katarina Macario, of course, right, who we thought leading into this tournament, we might have a real debate. Who's going to be the U.S. number nine? I think that debate is a little bit more settled after what we saw in Monterey. Alex Morgan scored just three goals, Jeff, but they, they felt like three really big goals. It's the penalty against Canada, and it's it's those first two against Haiti in the opener. When the U.S. was, was a little shaky, it was a little bit of a rocky start, Haiti looked pretty dangerous, and then... Alex Morgan finishes two chances, 16th and 23rd minute. That game is in the bag. Uh, do you see Alex Morgan now as the clear-cut starter, barring injury for the World Cup next summer? I mean, right now, yes. If you look at this number nine position in terms of who's healthy, she is the answer. I do think it will get very interesting when Macario is healthy. The torn ACL you know, puts her back possibly or probably in the new year and, and then you have a real competition for the number nine role but you look at morgan right now in form for club and country she's done you know she's had 15 goals and 17 total games with san diego wave and then as you said coming up in big moments three goals maybe people look at that and say well not a huge haul but very important moments as you said and i think she's evolved into a player that does a lot more off the ball in moments that maybe don't get much credit. And so her ability to kind of play off the ball, check down, find combinations is something I think that's gone underappreciated. And you see the difference when she's in that number nine role for the US, when she can create that space. So no doubt about it then, I think Alex Morgan certainly falls into the category of players who made the most of their opportunity down at the CONCACAF W Championship. Uh, Jeff, is there another player on that list for you? Because I think one of the big storylines coming into this tournament was these are the first real competitive minutes for a lot of these younger players. So who do you feel like really took advantage of this chance? Yeah, I think Naomi Gurma is is the name that jumps out for me. And no, she did not start every match. And it's it's unclear if she's necessarily a starter at center back right now. But in terms mm. of who stood out and who bring something to the squad that I think it's potentially missing. You look at Gurma, the assist that she had to start that play for the beautiful Sophia Smith goal against Jamaica, you know, mm -hmm. a, a spectacular play. And, and it shows, it highlights what she can do that I don't think the rest of this center back pool has right now, which is distri distribution from the back, whether that's passing angles or she's even able to break pressure on the dribble and she's not afraid to do that even as the last defender. And that's something that you really don't get from this center back pool in the past, Abby Dahlkemper has been relied upon. She's also on the way back from injury, just came back from it and missed this tournament. So I think Gurma, despite maybe not starting as much as maybe you would expect for a player that had a quote-unquote breakout tournament, is, is somebody who really showed us why potentially she could or even should be a starter at the World Cup next year. All right, so sounds like we may have a new uh, partnership for, for Becky Sauerbrunn there in the heart of the American defense. Well, what about the other side of the coin? Because it's a big opportunity. Surely somebody didn't take it. Is there, is there a player, Jeff, that for you maybe missed out on a chance to really lock down either a starting role or more minutes within this roster? Yeah, I think the caveat here is injury again, that it happened mid-tournament. But Ashley Hatch had an opportunity, obviously. You enter this tournament, you look at this U.S. team, even in the Columbia friendlies prior to the tournament, and this number nine position really seemed quite open. Katarina Macario was hurt. 
Alex Morgan coming back into the team after eight months. And you even look at that Columbia friendly, the first of the two, Ashley Hatch gets that start at number nine. And there's mm. an implication there that maybe that is the way Vlako Anonofsky is leaning. And then you see the difference in those two Columbia games. Again, that off the ball movement, the combination play between Hatch and Morgan. And then obviously going into the tournament, it really seemed to become clear uh, certainly, obviously, as as Hatch got injured in that after that Jamaica game, but it became clear that this team played quite differently with Morgan. So I think that's a missed opportunity for Hatch in that mm. we talk about forward depth on this team, and it does exist. There's an abundant amount of forward depth, but that's kind of a general term in the number nine position right now with Macario Hurt. It's really it's Morgan, and then you know that opportunity for Hatch, which obviously she'll want to have uh, to have had a better opportunity there with between the injury, you know, and, and not quite showing um, that off the ball movement and, and that finishing that, you know, maybe was needed from her. So if the number nine position was up for grabs coming into this tournament, looks like Alex Morgan has it locked down. Another position that I think maybe wasn't as openly upper grabs, but is certainly a position of curiosity as we move forward is goalkeeper. Where do you think we stand in terms of the race for the number one goalie spot? Uh, with the U.S. coming out of the CONCACAF W Championship? I think possibly the most interesting battle here in that we really don't know what Vlako Nanovsky is thinking at this moment. He actually, I think somewhat curiously, did not get asked that post-game after the final and, and maybe mm. with everything going on. But, you know, you look at, it looked very much like Casey Murphy had overtaken Alyssa Nair for that number one spot. And then Ananovsky and his staff go back to the veteran Nair, who obviously 2019 World Cup winner. They go back to her for the final against Canada. Tested a little bit. I think Nichelle Prince had some opportunities that we saw in that opening highlight where, you know, Canada had a few opportunities in the first half. But, you know, otherwise, not a lot of questions asked of Nair in that game. Murphy had some questions asked of her, certainly in that Costa Rica match. There were a couple of little moments of perhaps uncertainty, and maybe you could relate that. That to a rotating back line. But, you know, we come out of this tournament where I don't think we have an answer of who the number one goalkeeper is. Obviously, one year to figure that out. But, you know, where it looked like Murphy had maybe taken a hold of that, you know, Nair starts that final. And, and I think potentially, does that indicate that, you know, Vlatko wants to go back to that veteran hand in a big moment? I think that's something, perhaps one of the biggest questions to watch over the next year. Jeff, it was your first appearance on Football Americas, but hopefully uh, your first of many. I mentioned your work at ESPN.com. Also great work at EqualizerSoccer.com. So thanks for the time, man. Really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. There he is, Jeff Kasuf again. Catch his work on ESPN.com. Euro 2022, in the meantime, continuing this week. It's semifinal week there. We got Sweden and England. That game on Tuesday on ESPN2 and ESPN+. Plus. Same deal on Wednesday, only it's France versus Germany. Coverage starting at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Sacramento Republic, no doubt the darlings of semifinal week at the Open Cup, and we're now joined by their president and GM, Todd Donovan. Todd, you've been on a, on a media blitz a la Greg Berhalter. What is this, like the 300th interview you've done today? I've seen you everywhere, man. <laughs> no, thanks for coming on. No, no offense that I'm coming on last year. You saved the best for last, right? That's right. We saved the best for last because we got to hype up the uh, the Open Cup and your guys' thrilling matchup coming up against Sporting Kansas City. I know you've been doing the media rounds, and I'm sure you're getting kind of a lot of feedback on Twitter and nationally. But I know for a club like yours, I'm sure one of the, the, the biggest focal points has to be locally. So what's the buzz locally in terms of like our media or the television stations there in Sacramento? They come into practice. You're getting reporters on site. Uh, how are people reacting to this event in the local press? 
I mean, it is, uh, it's a frenzy. There's no question about it. I think we, we have, we're blessed our market. We get great coverage year round. Uh, you know, we, we announce a new head coach, a new player signing. We have every TV channel coming out and, and putting it on, uh, you know, the nightly broadcast. So we we're used to that. We're a little bit spoiled in that sense. Uh, it's kind of talks to the, to the great market that Sacramento is, but this tournament has really captured, I think our fans, imaginations, uh, and people who don't even know much about the sport can identify with this kind of David Goliath story and, and the run that we're on. And, uh, it's going to be a fun one Wednesday night. Yeah. So, so tell me about the ticket sales, right? Cause I know you don't have a, a ton of space there, but I'm hearing that there was a ton of demand. So how quickly until those tickets really started going? Yeah, oh, it was, it was instantaneous. I mean, we hadn't seen anything like that. We, we have a great fan base, but we put the tickets up and, and we sold out in a matter of minutes. Uh, and you know, the secondary market's going crazy. It is a lot of fun. I think, you know, it just, again, kind of points to the, to the market, the, the interest in it. And, you know, really everybody's kind of coming on board with, with how, how exciting this opportunity is for our city and for our club. What's the key to keeping the momentum, right? Because you're going to have an awesome crowd Wednesday night. It's going to be an amazing experience. Is there a way for you guys to, to maybe carry that over? Let's leave the football side aside for a second, but like commercially and in terms of media interest, can you carry that over into your season? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that we've already seen that we've already seen spillover. Uh, we've had a great home record this year it was a big focus for us it was to, to win games at home, kind of protect our turf, if you will. And, and, uh, it's been, you know, uh, a really good season on that standpoint. So, you know, across the board, we're seeing, uh, the fans respond as they always have our fans have supported us from day one. And, uh, you know, this is only another example of them taking it up to the next level. All right, so tell me about the matchup here against Sporting Kansas City because obviously they're an MLS team. They're going to be the favorite. But you look at the standings, you see how their season has gone, and you, I'm sure you guys are saying, hey, this is a pretty good matchup for a U.S. Open Cup semifinal, right? You know what? We, we think uh, it's going to be our toughest game to date. I think, you know, Sporting Kansas City – is a four-time champion in this tournament. They know how to win. Peter Burmese has his players and team ready for, for these games. And we saw what they did to Omaha, you know, in the last round. Uh, they're averaging four goals a game in the tournament. Uh, we are not looking at their regular season as any indi indicator of what we're going to see on Wednesday night. Uh, we know they're going to be coming in uh, and looking to take us down. So it, it's going to be our toughest test. And, uh, you know, Mark and, and the troops are going to be ready to, to, to go to battle. What's the attitude from the guys in the locker room? I'm sure you've been around them all week. I'm sure they're talking about this. What are they saying ahead of this one? Yeah, there's a little extra buzz, right? I think you, you feel that in training. Uh, you know, we just came off of a game this weekend in Phoenix. Um, you know, so today, I think everybody getting back together, getting training again, kind of getting refocused for, for Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow, a little more prep work. But there's, you know, you don't have to tell the guys the importance of this game or, or get them, you know, any extra motivation. Um, you know, it's going to be a fun night for the players. This is why you play. This is why all of us do what we do so we can have opportunities, uh, you know, to do special things like this. So you're running the open cup is proof of it, but I think really the open cup as a whole is kind of proof that the gap between major league soccer and USL, certainly USL championship is really starting to close. Can you, aside from the great work that you've done with Sacramento Republic, can you put your finger on, on why that gap is closing so quickly? 
Yeah, we're, we're proud to be the flag bearers, you know, still in the tournament for USL. We were just had our league meetings in Louisville and uh, to feel that support from all the all the clubs. Um, you know, it's exciting. I think everybody who watches the tournament, this is the fun part of the tournament to see upsets, to see, uh, you know, lower division teams taking on, uh, you know, kind of their, their big brothers. And, and for us, our players are, are, have been up for the challenge. I think that when that moment has come, our, our players have risen to the occasion. Uh, so that's that's exciting. I think for us and that gap that you're talking about, uh, you know, there's more investment in the teams. Our owner, Kevin Nagel, you know, continues to invest for us and give us the resources we need to, to put a good team on the on the field. And, and, you know, you look at our roster, we're really proud of the group of guys we have. And, uh, you know, on any given day, we, we feel like we're a tough team to beat. All right, we'll see if that any given day is on Wednesday against Sporting KC. There he is, Todd Donovan, president and GM of Sacramento Republic. Great story and good luck on Wednesday. Thanks for joining us here on Football Americas. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And of course, the Open Cup semifinals available for you on ESPN Plus. Orlando City and the New York Red Bulls kick things off Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's the first of the semifinals. The second, ooh, yeah, the big one. Sacramento against Sporting Kansas City. Can Sacramento Republic punch themselves a ticket into the U.S. Open Cup Final. Coverage starts 10.30 p.m. Eastern time there on ESPN+. Plus. On Thursday, for the next edition of Football Americas here on ESPN+, Plus, we will be bringing you our one-on-one -on -one interview with Zach Steffen of the U.S. Men's National Team and now Middlesbrough on loan from Manchester City. That's it for me. I'll see you in 72 here on ESPN+. Plus.